Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Hello, hello, hello. I am really excited to share today's episode with you all. We are joined by a professional athlete. I don't think that's ever, no, I know that's never happened. So guys, I think we've made it big time. Jimia Fields is a player for the Houston Dash, which is a part of the NWSL, National Women's Soccer League. I never actually fact-checked the acronym, but I would probably bet my life that that's what it stands for. I'm really excited to have this conversation with her because not only do I feel athlete conversations really resonate with you all. I guess we've got a lot of fellow former college athletes in the Freckled Foodie family. Way to go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, So I think that part of the conversation will really resonate with those specific people, but I also think that the conversation is applicable to all aspects of life because we talk a lot about the fear of the unknown, like trying to control the mental aspect of the game. And I think that really applies to all aspects of life, no matter what your career is. And we also get into the Black Lives Matter movement and her participation in that and the voice that she has found as a black professional athlete and speaking up and speaking out and really, I think, creating a platform for change. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Without further ado, Jamia Fields. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. I am really excited for today's episode because the more and more I share about being an athlete at a collegiate level, a lot of questions come in. And so I went ahead and got us a professional athlete to tell us all about her journey. So welcome, Jamia Fields, who is a player for the Houston Dash in the NWSL. Hello. Hi, I'm so excited to have you. Very excited to be here. So this is, for anyone listening, this is our first time actually connecting, um, obviously, other than email, because we set this up. But I found Jamia through Beam, the CBD company you guys know I rave about 24-7, and I'm sure you love as an athlete, the best. Um, But I'm really pumped to have you on here because I think there's a ton to talk about. And so to kick things off, how would you define success? Okay, so I actually love this question because... I've had to redefine, I feel like, how the world defines success in my career. And because there's so many things you can't control, right? So I define success by reaching your personal goals and meeting those, you know, benchmarks, not comparing it to the world. Because I feel like that's Mm -hmm. a lot of the time when you like lose yourself or 
you start to get, you know, discouraged when you're con- trying to define success the way to s- the world defines it. So to answer your question, it's more of setting little goals for yourself, short term, long term, meeting those. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think for me personally, when I feel the most successful is when I kind of have blinders on and I'm not yeah. comparing and contrasting to everything everyone else is doing because Same. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure honestly our jobs are obviously very different, but I also think that there are some parallels because a lot of it is kind of public. So like for me, it's really easy to compare and contrast. Okay, how many followers does this person have? How, what's their engagement? Like what brand partnerships right. are they getting? And that's when I get down on myself. And as a professional exactly. athlete, I'm sure a lot of it is like, okay, well, who's getting drafted to what team? Who's starting? How many plays? How many, like, how many, what time are they playing in each game? How many goals are they exactly. having? There's that tangible asset that I think we inherently tie to success when it's not necessarily always the case, especially when we're comparing it to other people instead of just focusing on what we can do for right. ourselves. Couldn't agree more. It's so, so much easier said than done. I'm working I on it. Know, same. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know, I take it day by day. <laughs> yes. It's like some days I'm in my own lane and I'm fucking thriving and doing right. amazing. And then the other days I'm like, what is happening? Why exactly. am I not getting, oh my God, it's difficult. Um, what are some small goals that you have for yourself? Any that you'd be willing to share with us? Of course. So with soccer, I mean, I feel like if you're playing at a competitive level in the NWSL, everyone's goal should be, you know, to do well on their team, but also a goal of, you know, being on the national team and competing at the highest level, which we are the highest level in the U.S. as a professional league. But wanting to play for your country is like a huge honor. So but that's more like a goal. And then for me also, just outside of soccer, I'm really into fashion. I also got my MBA in you know MBA so business I'm really into that so whether that be starting my own business you know getting more involved in the fashion industry I also like real estate I don't want to be a real estate agent but I'm kind of all over the place as you can see but I, I love some that goals with that <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you got to keep your options open, especially COVID has taught us one thing. It's to wear many hats because you never know what the hell is going to happen. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, from researching you, for everyone who's listening, you are from California. You went to play soccer at Florida State and then you entered the NWSL. Can you walk us through a like your childhood career with soccer or just journey with soccer? Was it always something you played? And then how the hell that looked like after you graduated college going to play professionally? Because it's something that I think, and maybe I'm totally wrong, but females, I think, think of less than potentially males. I know that if you're one of the best college football players, you're obviously thinking, I want to go to the NFL or save my basketball and getting into the NBA. And I, maybe it's because the sport I played in college, lacrosse, didn't have that option. Um, But I just feel like it's something that is thought of less from a female perspective. And I'm so curious of how that journey unfolded. Right. So I grew up playing soccer and tennis. I, you know, selected soccer full time, like a little bit before high school, but kind of played high school tennis as well. But yeah, soccer just got really serious. We traveled everywhere for club. You know how that you know how that goes. Yes. <laughs> and then went all the way across the country to Florida State. And everyone's like, there's so many good colleges in California. Why did you go all the way across the country? And 
honestly, I was a homebody, did not want to leave California, but it's probably the best decision I've ever made going like completely out of my comfort zone way over there. I just learned so much, whole different culture. It was amazing. The My coach there, the teammates, just amazing. We actually won the national championship my senior year. And Oh, you're one of those people that gets to say you're a national champion. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it I'm was, so it was, jealous. It was actually probably the highlight of um, my career just because of course. It was it was crazy. So I'm very thankful for that. And um, then I got drafted. Oh yeah, so I, I mean I always knew that I wanted to play professionally, probably I would say like 12, 13, I, I just, well, I knew that I wanted to be really good at soccer, but mm-hmm. the professional league was going in and out. So right. when I was in college, it, it was, there was a professional league and, but when I was really competitive at soccer, our league also folded. So it was just like all over the place, but then the national team was always a thing. So mm-hmm. that was just amazing just to want to get on the national team. So, right. There's always that big end goal. Right. So when the leagues were in and out, you know, there was still the end goal with the national team that was, you know, steady. And so after, you know, after college, got put my name into the draft. Anybody can put their name into the draft and, you know, there's a draft or, and if you don't get drafted, you can go try out. But I got selected in Boston, ended up signing in. And another thing about the professional league, if you get drafted, you don't, you don't get signed like right away. You just have like, you have to go and try out and everything still. Okay. Which is interesting. That's wild to me, but okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then I ended up signing in New York. Then I went to play in Orlando for two years because there was an expansion draft with the new team. Then I went to Europe and I played in Europe 2018 and then I've been in Houston for two years. So I've been kind of all over the place, but. <laughs> wow. And is that something that you feel has been beneficial to you kind of bopping around? Because I know, especially in your early 20s, I look back, I've lived in New York since a month after I graduated college. Oh, wow. And now I'm 29 and I look back and reflect and think, wow, I've been in the same place for so long and I'll probably be here for a while. And I feel like I miss the window of living in different cities and I am jealous of people who have experienced that. So did you feel like you benefited from kind of bopping around in that sense? Oh, for sure. I'm like thankful. I'm able to say I've lived in Buffalo, New York, you know, and I don't like cold weather. So probably (laughs) won't be trying to go anywhere back in California to Buffalo, New York is very different. Exactly. And then, then I went to Orlando, which, you know, back in Florida. So I was like, this is great. There for two years. And then I was like, okay, I have an opportunity in Europe. I'm going to go. It was Norway, which is freezing. Freezing, of course. <laughs> like, I had to just be tested on that level. I was like, please, somewhere warm. They're like, okay, Norway. Um, <laughs> so, but honestly, living in Europe for a year was so amazing. Like, the fact that I get to say that and... Then going to Houston, I have family in Houston. So I'm actually, yeah, like I'm very thankful that I've got to live in different places, even though if it wasn't always my choice, but I think everything happens for a reason. So I agree. I honestly think I would struggle the most with the fact that you have to give up control over that because I'm a recovering control freak (laughs) and I have so much anxiety over the fear of the unknown. And that Mm -hmm. to me is obviously very triggering, but I think there's also something to be said of just letting 
the universe kind of take over and putting yourself in the situations where you're hopefully going to be happy where you end up. And if you're right. not, you you have the control to potentially change it right. and giving it a chance because you never know. Exactly. Yeah. And so. what do you think, yeah, what do you think the number one thing has like throughout your life has helped you get to where you are today as a professional athlete? Well, I'm Or really, like a few things if you can't pick one. Yeah, well, I'm really passionate about like the mental side of the game because I realized once I got, you know, in the professional world with sports that everyone was good. Mm-hmm. But I really saw that the people who were really thriving and able to like persevere is like mental toughness. So, you know, I've seen players who very good, but then they under pressure, like aren't able to do it like mentally. Do you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I totally. started, a lot of things started happening to me that were out of my control. So I knew that what the one thing I can control, like is, is my mind regardless of their decision. And then that kept me like being able to stay in it mentally on the field, even if things weren't going in my, my way with decisions. So I'm so passionate about um, the mental side of the game and even like in long waiting periods, talking, talk about like not being able to control the unknown, like coming back from Norway, let's just say, and not having a team and trying to figure it out. And you still have all these dreams and these goals and you feel great and healthy, but okay, I have no team. So there's a long waiting period of, trying to keep your dream alive and and that's that's all comes to your mental to be able to in that time manage your thoughts to keep yourself on your path for a dream, your dream absolutely i would i know i would personally really struggle with that and i was someone who struggled i not i hate to say performance anxiety because i don't think i necessarily did but i definitely would be anxious of like living up to expectations of mm-hmm. both myself my parents my coach my teammates right. and i don't think i realized that it was necessarily anxiety until i graduated and was able to reflect back on that time oh, right. but I think there's a huge, huge mental aspect to being an athlete that I think is finally becoming a large part of a conversation. Right. And all the feelings are valid though, right? Like trying, wanting to be the best, wanting to, you know, do well for your, your parents, your coach, for yourself. And then having to manage all those emotions. It's not like, why are you feeling that way? You shouldn't feel that way. No, it's like those feelings are valid, but like, how do we how do I manage those thoughts? Which is like I said earlier, everyday battle for these things, but mm-hmm. they, you know, right. They're totally valid. And of course it's all rooted in the fact that everyone wants to win. Right. And that's, I think again, it's the fear of the unknown. It's what's going to happen in this game. What's going to be the outcome. What does that look like? What does it mean? So I definitely was someone that would get the pregame jitters. I mean, even now when I'm watching professional sports of teams I care about, I still right. am like, Oh, I can't look at the screen. I can't watch. I can't watch. I can't watch. Right. Uh, it's comical now because I have no involvement whatsoever <laughs> and I have zero control. Talk about having no control. Um, right. So you're playing for the Houston dash currently. And obviously George Floyd's death was not the first police killing of a black man or the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, but it sparked a lot of uprising in May. And given that you are playing in his hometown, how did that impact your involvement in the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement? Because from following you, it's a topic that you've been now discussing um, as a black professional athlete. Right. Well, crazy times. When it happened, it was a lot of emotions and 
I always say like 20, 26 years old, these are my first conversations outside of my family, like about race, you know? And so it's like a lot, it's a lot for me as well as, you know, for the world. But when that happened to George mm-hmm. Floyd, that was terrible. And being in the city, but going to the protest, it was actually amazing to see how many people were out there supporting him and trying to fight for him. It, I think there were 60,000 people. And so to really see it's a amazing. city, crazy, to see a city come together like that and have some of my teammates and the people from the organization, they're supporting me as a black woman, as a black female athlete, just to feel that support at that time and to also support George Floyd and, you know, the other people in the black community who have been affected by, you know, police brutality. It was, it was, it was huge for me personally and something that I'll remember forever. I think the protests that came from such an awful situation really Mm -hmm. brought together so many people in the most positive way it could have. And I was fortunate enough to attend a few in New Jersey and New York and was completely overwhelmed by the, support and togetherness, I guess, just a complete uprising. Like, hello, everyone, we're having this conversation. Enough is enough. And I think there's so, 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 so much more to do. But I'm curious, you mentioned it was your first time talking about race with anyone other than your family. And growing up, I mean, being a former soccer player, and Mm -hmm. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I definitely felt in my soccer bubble, it was predominantly white. Did right. you feel the same way in California? For sure. Predominantly white sport. So I definitely suppressed a lot of experiences that I've had over the over mm-hmm. the last years. And I always say going to Florida State, it was amazing for me because I actually had six black girls on the team at one point being amazing. in a city like Tallahassee that the black community is pretty strong. And so that was huge for me. But growing up in Southern California, for sure, I felt outnumbered at times and, but didn't really have the conversation. It was like, it, now that I think back, it's like, what did I even do to, when I felt uncomfortable in situations? I don't know. Like I just suppressed it all. So being able, mm-hmm. able to really come to terms with, you know, things that are said and happen and feel that and be able to use my voice. And then other people say, wow, I can relate. It's like, okay, wow. There's other people who went through this and we can come together to, you know, make a change. So Absolutely. I mean, I think right now, one of the best things that has come from all of this is the conversation around the topic. Because for me, you know, I think we were raised in such an age where similar ages where white people were told like, oh, don't call people black. And you don't see color as if those were things that were supposed to be helpful. And instead, were actually like, pretty harmful. We just didn't realize at the time. And I've definitely have I've had conversations about race with some of my black friends growing up and it was something that we discussed, but I think now that it's happening on a more national level and people are having them publicly such as this or such as what you're doing on your Instagram, I think the awareness aspect is massive and has a very large impact and hopefully will continue to have a large impact because I almost feel there's this kind of a rip the bandaid off mentality over it Mm. where people walk on eggshells around this topic. And then the second that 
someone, whether it's a white person or a black person, but once the conversation is brought up, then it's like, okay, now we can continue to have these conversations. Now we can continue to talk about these things and talk about how we can help. And I think that there's almost that first conversation that needs to happen on either end just to open the the discussion. Right. And I've been very thankful for all the conversations I've been having with, you know, white or black teammates and everyone's just really learning. And I appreciate people who really want to learn. And Mm -hmm. I hear, you know, friends or people just ask me like, okay, so what do we do to make the change? And it's like, I wish I had the answer. Like sometimes I feel helpless, you know, I wish I had the answer what is going to just change it all. But I do think the conversations and reading books, getting educated, and then going out into the community, whether that be while I'm in LA or here in Houston and trying to find the right organizations to help the black communities or the black business, support black business, you know, that I feel Mm -hmm. like little things will will come together to like make a big change, even though we wish we all could just like, stop it now, you know? And Absolutely. I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed by the feeling of, I have no idea what the hell to do because I feel like nothing I'll do will fix it. At least right. that's how I have definitely right. felt. Right. And what I've encouraged the Freckled Foodie community to do is to continue to educate ourselves and make the small changes. Like I saw you yes. had a quote in one of your posts was, you don't have to be black to be outraged. Yeah. And you don't. Yeah. You know, this is something we should all be outraged by and then Mm -hmm. figure out how can we make these big or small changes. And, you know, that even counts of calling out your racist friends who don't even realize they're saying racist shit. Right. Um, You know, there's so much that can be done and have a hopeful ripple effect. And I think that there should be a focus on those things to try and push us forward in the right direction instead of getting overwhelmed and shutting down and then not doing anything instead. Right. I agree. I agree. Cause I, I, I do think that a lot of people feel that way and then they're just like, well, I can't do anything. So I'm just going to sit here in silence. Exactly. And that's why I got inspired to start like to use my voice and my platform on these topics because I do feel like a lot of times people just, well, I don't have that many followers. No one's listening, but there's always someone listening. Yes, it's not matter how, you know, like everyone, there's always some, you're right. There's always someone listening, you know, there's always, mm-hmm. no matter how big or small your platform is. And I'm just like, okay. So I got inspired to use my voice. And if it helps, you know, a small number of people that, hey, like that is making, you know, a change or get, getting them thinking about different thoughts to talk about with their friends and, and so I, I got really inspired to continue to speak on it. I think it's not only inspiring your community and encouraging them to have the conversation, but I also think that as a black professional athlete, you are probably an idol to many more young black females than you eat. Mm. even could think of because you know we talked about how this is a predominantly white sport and Mm -hmm. growing up there weren't a lot of you know when you're looking at the national team or the stars there weren't a lot of black people that were in that limelight and so I think even just what you're doing as an athlete is inspiring so many thank you thank you I'll continue to try try to do that (laughs) I don't want to put that pressure on you. But I'm just <laughs> saying I think that it is inspiring. I got you. Yes. <laughs> um, what would you say your favorite characteristic is about yourself? Ooh, 
Oh. I always like to <laughs> encourage us ladies to brag about ourselves a little bit. Okay. I would say the way I like to connect with people, I would say. I've like in the sport and actually outside the sport too, just being able to meet so many great people and I don't know, try to give and my faith is really important to me, so trying to show as much love as I can. And mm-hmm. I just feel like everyone has different stories, different backgrounds, and just traveling all over and realizing that. I think one of my characteristics, I, it just feels awkward giving yourself a compliment, honestly. But I just feel like connecting I know, with but people, we have to work on it. I know. I know. I'm like sweating now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, being able to connect with people and actually genuinely caring about people and wanting to know about their story and um, wanting to connect with them is probably one of my strengths. <laughs> It's a great strength to have as a person. I will say like when I feel so deeply connected and have such admiration for people who have that strength where they can have a conversation with someone and really connect with them and feel and and be seen as the other person in the conversation because right. you can really feel the difference in my opinion. Right. No, for sure. And what would you say the hardest thing is about being a professional athlete? Hardest thing, probably, I mentioned it before, but dealing with the things that are out of your control. So whether that be getting waived or, you know, everyone wants to be in the starting lineup and just things like that, just things you can't control because you have to keep performing and you have to keep your head in it. And my journey has been up and down, up and down, but yeah, the main things I'm just like, oh, it's just about the things you can't control, but you have to stay in it. Yeah, it's the hardest thing. It is. All it just really jobs. is. Oh my goodness, it is so difficult. Um, and then to close, I bring it back to food. So, what would the three ways to your heart through food be? Oh, oh, I love. Food. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I know. Like, I'm just trying to think of my favorite things. I'm. I really, really like Mexican food, and I really, being from California, there's just so so many good places. Um, mm-hmm. So Mexican food, I'm, I love pizza. I sound really basic right now, but I'm going to say pizza. No, they're all great things. <laughs> I love pizza, and I really like, I'm probably naming too many things, but like banana bread and mm-hmm. and just like pastries like that. Those are my things. <laughs> I, I love all three of those things. I had pizza for dinner last night and it hit the freaking spot. Oh, it always hits. Oh my goodness. It's just, it, you can't, you cannot go wrong with a pizza. Um, well, thank you so much for being on here for everyone listening. Where is the best place for them to find and follow you? Okay. Well, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So just my name, Jimmy Fields. I'm trying to be better with Twitter, but yeah, usually Instagram is like my, my spot. I feel the same way. I'm trying. It's so weird. I'm trying to get my Twitter, but I I don't know how. I haven't tweeted anything, but Freckled Foodie is locked and it won't let me do anything on the account. So I think I'm just going to have to, I I have no idea why. Like it's so weird. So I need to find someone at Twitter or I think I just need to go under Cameron Rogers on Twitter and figure it out. But right. All of those things. We'll link your Instagram and your Twitter in the show notes and everyone 
definitely go follow and be sure yes. to root for the Houston Dash this season. Yes. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you so thank much. thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thank you. Hi, my friends. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did as someone who basically like their entire childhood was run by soccer. I found it, I don't know, I just really was so interested like what the heck this would be like to play soccer professionally. And I had so many questions and I really, really admire Jamia for everything she's doing and love chatting with her. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as a listener. Um, Today, it feels weird. I'm sitting on a couch looking over or overlooking water in New Hampshire and like gorgeous foliage that's just starting to turn. Um, Joe and I rented a house on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire for I think like three and a half weeks we're here. Basically, we all of our vacations were canceled this year, obviously. Um, a lot of them were around weddings that were rescheduled. And so our entire vacation budget was replenished and we were thinking of trying to take advantage of the situation of him working from home and like spending time in somewhere for an extended period of time that we normally wouldn't have and originally we were thinking of kind of more midwest i guess midwest i don't know kind of like is that technically midwest joe like colorado utah that area okay not midwest what is that west Joe's in the room. Okay, whatever that area is, I'm really bad with geography. Don't ask. Um, anyway, originally we were thinking of doing that. I mean, my dream was to do a road trip, but I just felt like with everything happening, RE, COVID-19, it didn't feel like the smartest decision. So we were able to drive here. We have HR. Um, we have a great house right on the water. We're very excited to just chill. Honestly, My goal is to not work nearly as much as I have been just for the next three and a half weeks and really take some time, the two of us, and focus on relaxing and specifically my mental health. You guys know I have talked a bit about it recently, but I have just been anxious as fuck, like new levels of anxiety I didn't know I could reach. And I had gone off amitriptyline, which we've discussed I hope you can't hear Charlie barking, um, which we've discussed on here and on my Instagram, but I'd gone off amitriptyline because my doctors didn't want me on it while we were potentially trying to conceive or then hopefully pregnant. And I was okay when I went off it at first. And then I don't know. I mean, the world clearly, but some things shifted and I decided I needed to go back on medication. I do everything in my power to manage my anxiety and it just isn't enough. And so sometimes we need that extra assistance. So I'm excited to announce that I am officially on Zoloft. Um, It's day one as I'm recording this, so don't notice anything, but I'll keep you guys posted as this continues. The reason I share this is because I think that we need to break down the stigma of people who are taking medication. Like some of us just need extra assistance and sometimes medicine is the answer. So that's an update on that front. Um, I'll be sharing a ton of stuff regarding that. And I'll also be sharing regarding New Hampshire and, you know, just life as always over on Instagram at Freckle Foodie. I shared something yesterday. I don't even know what day it is. Okay, well, after... Char, please stop eating my breakfast. Hey, no. After 
the shit show that we can call the presidential debate that happened on Tuesday night. Um, I was pretty vocal on my Instagram stories and on Twitter. Guys, I'm now on Twitter. I don't know why I was blocked for so long, but I'm, I I got reactivated. I hadn't even tweeted anything, but like they deactivated my account. I don't know why. Um, but I'm back and I was back just in time to share my thoughts on the political presidential debate. So... I tweeted a bunch. Obviously, you guys know my emotions and where I stand. And I shared then a few of my tweets on my Instagram feed. And my DMs like blow up when I talk about this. Like, I mean, I've never received so many DMs as I have in the past 24 hours. And of all of those, only three were negative. So the support is overwhelming. And the three negative ones, whatever, I don't really care. Uh, But I said to you guys, you know, people are, you guys are so supportive in my DMs and I so appreciate it. But I also just want to remind everyone that especially when I'm posting things like that in my feed, like it is a risk from a business perspective, one that I will take 20 times over because I think speaking my mind is more important than any aspect of this business. And I realize that there's privilege in that 100%, but it's just where I stand. Um, However, I hate that like there are numbers that matter. So if you're someone who is like supporting the shit out of someone privately over DMs when they talk about these things, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about anyone. When they publicly talk about them on their feed, like make sure you're also supporting them because they want to continue to do this. And while they're taking a business risk, like you know, it's one worth taking in my opinion, but in order to encourage them to keep taking the risks, just the extra support by liking, commenting, sharing, whatever is always beneficial. Um, okay, some listener cues. Charlie is like fully cuddled up on me, eating and licking my hand. So I really hope you can't hear all this. But if I'm out of breath, it's because I'm wrestling with him on the side. Um, one is, are you changing behavior as you're thinking about trying to conceive like drinks, weed and exercise? No, not really. No. Um I mean, drinks and weed, I obviously like pay attention if you're trying, like after you're ovulating, I guess. I'm not a doctor. Um, But exercise, I guess, yes, because I am exercising in sync with my cycle. So you guys listen to the episode, hopefully, with Elisa Vidi. I think it's like episode 72, where we talk all about that. And I have been exercising to stay in sync with my cycle. So that's like high intensity cardio during two phases and then more low intensity Pilates and yoga during the other two. And I have found that my body just feels better doing that. And so that's all I'm kind of doing. Um, Question number two, how did you overcome your digestive issues? Dude, please stop. Stop barking. I beg of you. It's really annoying. He gets so frustrated when I talk to anything, a microphone, my phone, anything that's not him. Um, Maybe if I look at him and pretend to talk to him, he'll think I'm talking to him. Okay, how did you overcome digestive issues mentally and physically? So I realized that I never did like a full um, podcast on this at all. But if you listen to the episode with Phoebe Lapine on SIBO, which is like way back in the early days, we do talk about like our journeys with both having SIBO. And I do have a blog post, I think, on my site that's called like My Health Journey. And it might have even been a YouTube video where I like sit down and talk about it all. Between that and my blog post about mercury poisoning, that kind of gives like my health history. But overcoming it, like I worked with a functional medicine practitioner. And then I also worked with a nutrition response testing practitioner, Dr. Beth Fergosh, who was on this podcast. And I really think that 
they both helped a ton in like actual treatment, whether like at one point I was on antibiotics for SIBO. At other points, it was more supplements, like with Dr. Beth Fergosh, it was a lot of supplements. So they helped a ton physically, emotionally. For me, a lot of it was wrapped up in anxiety and I don't think I was willing to admit that. And so for me, a lot was also like focusing on managing my anxiety and putting my mental health at the forefront and doing things like meditating and journaling and, you know, exercising for me, not for results. And I also think like letting go of these fears over food, because the mindset that you have when you go into a meal, I would say is just as important as what you're eating. So if you're sitting down to eat something and you're like stressed as fuck about the fact that you're consuming a specific type of food, and I don't know what everyone's triggers are, but if if it were me, like I would get really worked up about it or I'd be like, oh my God, where can I get, like what's gonna be there? What's on the menu? Is there gonna be something I can have? And the stress that I would have going into a meal would cause flare-ups no matter what I ate. And so I really think focusing on that mental health aspect of it. And also remembering like one meal is not gonna change anything either way. Um, And I even said this on my stories last night, like yesterday we were driving to New Hampshire and I had like for breakfast, I had a bowl of granola for lunch in the car. I had a bagel, cream cheese, lox and cucumber. It was fucking amazing. Um, And then for dinner, we didn't have anything. We had brought some stuff to the house and like we were just unpacking whatever. So it's like, all right, let's just make these frozen pizzas that we have from Trader Joe's. And I had a few like, I don't know if it's, they're not disordered, I don't think, but like health obsessed thoughts from a previous version of my life where I was like, oh my God, I haven't had any vegetables today. And it doesn't fucking matter. It's one day. It really does not matter. And I did have cucumbers in my bagel. Um, But I think just like letting yourself have some grace and ease and it doesn't have to be so like high strung, uptight food rule city. And I do think that that all plays into digestive health, whether people acknowledge it or not. Um, So I guess that's how I dealt with it. Um, That's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm really pumped about a few episodes we have coming out in the foreseeable future. And I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. As always, please follow on Instagram at Freckled Foodie and at FFNFriendsPod. Share the you know, podcast, screenshot, whatever you want to do on your stories. Let me know your thoughts. I love seeing um, your guys' opinions and emotions and reflections from the episode. Have a great weekend. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my Way Too Active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.